seats all around you. There's these cards. Next week is officially Back to Church Sunday. It's the national day, if you will, Back to Church Sunday, and we would love for you to invite someone to come with you. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. I'll remind you again to take those with you when you leave today and you see an extra card on the seat uh, that hasn't been taken. Take that with you as well because um, they won't get used sitting on chairs in this room. So please take them with you. Uh, there's no point for them to stay here. We'll just have to like throw them away or something, and that wouldn't be any good at all, would it? No, no, we're excited about next week for sure. Um, if you're watching online, I have no idea uh, what you just heard um, during that first song. Um, I was actually in there listening, and it was weird. Like, things kept changing octaves and slowing down and speeding up, and it was, David sounded like a monster for a moment. It was weird what was happening there. So I don't know if that's happening online at home or if that's just here in the building, but it was, it was very strange. Um, so just, you know, just... just well, it sounded fine in the room. It sounded great. Um, in the room, it was wonderful, but something else was happening out there in the world, and I don't know what it was. So uh, we apologize if that was happening on your end at home. Uh, we don't know. We, we can't tell you. I don't know if it's an internet speed thing. I don't have any idea what was going on. It was weird. That's all I can tell you. It was very, very weird. So uh, just, just tell you how it is. That's just how we, how we roll here. So good morning. I, uh, I don't know. I was right before service. I was like, man, I'm kind of feeling starving. And I'm always hungry on Sundays because I typically don't eat before, before church and things. And I'm like, that's no big deal. And then I realized, wait, I ate dinner last night at like five o'clock. And I had a sandwich, just a ham and cheese sandwich and some chips. That was it. Uh, I didn't eat lunch yesterday. Yeah, I'm probably hungry. So I ate oatmeal cream pie. And now I'm like, yeah, we just ate oatmeal cream pie. So, um, <laughs> You know, that's, that's just, we're all just people. You see, you just got to realize that. We are all the same. I don't know, but just remember that. I'm just like all of you. We're all just like each other. We do things like that. Um, thank you for taking time to be with us here this morning. You have no idea how much that means to us as leadership, to us as staff, uh, to those that, that have been here a long time and, and just see these new faces and people coming in. I, I hope you really begin to get to know one another. I'm not joking when I'm talking about, hey, start inviting one another out to lunch or over for lunch or things like that. Or maybe Sunday's not great and so your work schedule doesn't work. So maybe one night during the week, just start to invest in one another. And don't be afraid of families with kids because everyone was afraid of my family as a child. There were six of us and no one invited us over to dinner ever. Because there were six of us, right? And so um, just, just keep that in mind. Uh, these kids are wonderful. They're great. Eat outside, and they won't break anything. It's, it's, it's okay um, if you do that. We're in the third week of our series here. Hope is here. It's so true. And next week, as I mentioned, is officially Back to Church Sunday across the nation. We've had that, that banner out there for a month now. And I do. I, I pray that these cards will be given to someone that you've already begun praying for, you've already begun maybe conversations with, an opportunity to have them join you next week. Hopefully, uh, they'll join you, if nothing else, online, but hopefully in person. Those conversations you've been having with people about hope, about life, about the things in this world are all leading them closer to Christ. But you got to be intentional eventually about that. You can't just be vague and have those random conversations and never go anywhere with it. At some point in time, you got to take that next step with them. God is already leading other people to join us next week, and they might just be waiting on your invitation. That, what, what happened there really isn't that uncommon. 
Uh, most people, if invited by a friend, last I looked, the numbers were upwards of 80%. Most people, if invited by a friend, will come. Amen. Really. <laughs> like it's true. Over the past few weeks, we, we, what we've been looking at is all the ways that God brings us hope in the face of a world that is hopeless. The first week, we, we talked a little about Jesus and how he brings us hope when we're weary from the heaviness, from the burdens of life and how we do not have to walk through those things alone. The second week, we talked about the hope that comes from the grace of Jesus because when we're broken, when we're broken because of things like sin, we can be forgiven and how that forgiveness takes place. And then we have hope because of that forgiveness. Today, we're going to be talking about the hope that is given to us when we feel like we're facing something more than we can handle. Now, that's probably never happened to you in your life. You've probably never been in a situation where things were just a little out of your level of comfortability, shall we say. Maybe you've felt this experience. You've been an underdog before in life. I know David grabbed some pictures for me. We love those kinds of movies, right? Rudy and Rocky, and who's ever seen Cool Runnings? Just curious. It's an old movie now. No joke. I'm not making this up, right? I, I told you we went to Jamaica on vacation, and there was a transport shuttle that had to take us from the airport to where we were going, and it was about an hour and a half trip. Well, wouldn't you know about an hour and a half is exactly how long that movie is? And wouldn't you know that that's what they show in Jamaica when you're driving on these transport buses? It's cool. They're still very proud of their Olympic bobsled team, if you don't know what Jamaican, what that movie is about. Um, it's an interesting, entertaining movie for sure. But we love this common theme, these underdogs, films where unlikely characters or books, unlikely characters overcome these amazing odds. They're all told in different ways. They have their own unique outcomes, not always great, but something about these movies inspire us, probably because at some level, all of us know what it feels like to face circumstances that we just know we can't handle, we can't overcome on our own. So we cheer for the underdog because somehow, some way, we feel like if they can win, then maybe I can too. You see, life is full of overwhelming situations. Your situations might be totally different. I just came up with a little random few things. Parenting. Parenting children can be overwhelming at times, can't it? Navigating global pandemics. I don't think any of you were alive in 1918, okay, so that's new for all of us, right? We don't know how to do this. We have no clue. Juggling careers and family and even our faith and growing in our faith and, and defeating sinful habits, these are all things that can be very challenging. Now, I would argue one of the reasons that we find them so challenging is because we try to do them all by ourselves, and they weren't meant to be done alone. The Bible is full of wonderful characters who, against all odds, experience victory somehow. But there's a common thread through almost every single one of these stories. The characters are all fully aware that without God's help on their side, there's no hope of a favorable outcome. Left to themselves, they would, of course, just face defeat. And in some cases, these characters did that, didn't they? They went out and tried on their own and failed miserably, and then finally came back to God, and he allowed the victory. Now, one of the most classic stories of all of these, these underdog stories in scriptures, of course, is the story of, of David. Now, many of us heard that as a child. This account takes place long before he became King David, and at this point, he's, he's just a young, 
man, maybe even a boy. We don't know his exact age at the time. So turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is what be the whole time. We're going to skip around in the verses there, start in verse 20, and then skip around after that. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 20. It says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing one another. You see, just a little bit ago, David now arrives at the front lines of this massive conflict between the Israelites and the Philistines, one which is still going on today, in case you wondered. <laughs> this battle hasn't ended just yet. He's in the fields. He's taking care of the sheep on his own. So when he arrives at this, this, uh, this, this battle, it's really obvious very quickly that he's kind of out of his league. He is just a kid after all. He is not a warrior. He's not a trained uh, uh, soldier of any kind. But what we have to remember in 2021 is this. This event is real. This is not a hyperbole. This is not an allegory. This is not some kind of story, metaphor, thing in the Bible. This is a real story. Now, some of us might have heard this as a child, and really we haven't really heard it much since, and so we just kind of have that childlike memory of David and Goliath and the cute little battle scene, you know, and the sling and all that good stuff, and that's, that's really where we've left it because that was a kid's story. You know, it's not a kid's story. <laughs> Actually, it's really not a kid's story if you read the whole story. There's part of the story you didn't hear in Sunday school, just so you know. <laughs> just telling you. It's there. But here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine being a first century Christian, a Gentile, didn't grow up in Jewish faith. You accept this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You hear this miraculous spirit that has now come and dwelt within you, and you're wondering, what does this spirit do? What does the power of God look like? And someone, maybe one of your Jewish Christian friends, shares with you this story from the Old Testament of what it looks like to have the power of God within you. When that person heard the story of David and Goliath in the battle for the first time, how would they have thought about this new God that they've just discovered indwelling them differently? How would they think about the power of this new God within them? It's incredible. It's hard for us to do because we live in such a different time, but for the first time hearing this story and imagining that's God, that's the power that I have now within me. He can do that. In our lives, let's be really honest, are any of us really ever able, or are, are we prepared? Maybe that's a better word. Are we prepared to handle what life throws at us? Sometimes, yes, right? Sometimes. But think of an instance where you had everything in life perfectly laid out, ready to go in order the way you wanted it, ready for that big life event that took place. Were you really ready or did you leave the bag that you packed to take with you to the hospital for the birth of your firstborn child at home? Did anyone experience that? I'm just, just an example. At first glance, David definitely wasn't ready for what lies ahead. He was just a kid. For us, maybe it was a phone call we received. We weren't prepared for that. Maybe it was a diagnosis, the discovery of infidelity. It's a temptation that hit us out of nowhere, so we think. No one asks to be placed in a position where there's no clear route to victory or success. And that's exactly where David finds himself within the first few verses here. It might be where you are today in your life. When we find ourselves in this place, we need some kind of hope. 
to help us through. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, then you got to hear me share my latest life event as I sat at my desk. I, I genuinely wasn't prepared for what was happening. There was no warning, no signs or anything like that. Just me sitting at my desk thinking, you know what? I, I kind of think I'm having a heart attack. How do you prepare for that? Seriously. <laughs> like, how do you get ready for that event? Well, what should you do? Well, listen to God. <laughs> in any situation, but even in those crises, there's lots of ways to panic. No, there's no that didn't really help. <laughs> listen. And just wonder, what would it be like if you don't give up? If you don't quit, if you don't give in to whatever the situation that's facing you, we have to decide how we will respond. We can't know the situation, but we can already predetermine in our minds and our hearts how we will respond if and when the unexpected happens. Are we willing to go ahead and kind of resign ourselves to the fact that, hey, I'm just going to give it to God. Whatever that situation is, I'm just going to, I'm going to right now make a commitment. Whatever that is, when it hits, I'm going to give it to God and carry, use his strength to carry me through. Now, David arrives at the front lines. His, his excuse for going was to check on his brothers. And according to the text, it sounds like his dad, Jesse, actually did send him with food and things like that for his brothers to the battle lines. He's going to check on the Israelite army. Now, also keep in mind, he's a young teenage boy going to battle to check things out. Mm -hmm, as a young teenage boy would. At this point, he gets the very first real look at what the Israelite army is facing. In verse 23 of chapter 17, he, David, was talking with them, and Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled. They ran away from him in great fear. He said, now the Israelites had been saying to themselves, so David's talking to them, and he's listening to their response. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He's coming out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from all the taxes in Israel. That's a pretty good gig if you beat this guy. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? He wants to double check. Did I just hear this right? Is that really what everybody just said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You hear not just the, uh, there's a couple things you should hear in David's tone. One is absolutely the hope that God will provide, but also just kind of an innocence. He doesn't really understand battle and war and how this thing is all supposed to work out. And I think that's probably where his brother here jumps in and says, hey, David, you little punk. Because that's literally what he says. David, the Eliab, the oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and said, why are you even here? What's your deal? Why are you here? And whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? Go back home and take care of the sheep, baby brother. You're not supposed to be here. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What on earth had David done to him? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I kind of, I, I like to envision, because you don't know the behind-the-scenes story. It's never revealed in the text. So what I like to think back to is if you're familiar with the Old Testament story of Joseph. And Joseph tells all his older brothers, hey, guys, one day you're all going to bow down to me. <laughs> they didn't really like that, so they tried to kill him, and then they didn't, and they sold him into slavery, and that whole thing went down. Right. I kind of wonder if something like this has happened. Samuel, has Samuel already visited David at this point and anointed him to become the next king of Israel and his brothers know that? I don't know, maybe. Um, what, what's the reason? What's the motivation? His brother obviously is not happy about his presence at the battle line, I guess. So David responds, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done to you? 
Can't I even speak? Sounds like a little brother. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and they answered him the same as before. What David said was overheard and reported back to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. This is verse 32, skipping down just a little bit. Let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. King Saul replied, you're not able to go fight against this Philistine. There's no way. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. And oh, by the way, he's a giant, and his sword's bigger than you are. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear were carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of that Philistine giant. How that speech changed Saul's mind, it didn't. The Spirit of God changed Saul's mind. Because what was before Saul was a little kid, no chance at all. But God moved Saul's heart, and he said, go, the Lord be with you. You can hear in this passage the determination of David, the innocence of, hey, guys, all we got, God's on our side. What, what's everyone afraid of here? He was just a boy, but he knew somebody had to stand up to this threat. This massive man named Goliath was a decorated warrior. He struck fear into the hearts of every person who literally saw just his physical being because he was a physical giant. He was terrifying. The whole Israelite army was paralyzed with fear. No one was willing to go and face him. However, someone had to do something, and David happened to be up to the task. So his brothers, of course, ridiculed him for such a thing because of the, they weren't brave enough to do it. They weren't deep enough in their faith with God to do that. So what causes such a young boy, an underdog, if you will, to take on such a huge task? Well, hope. Hope that he will not be fighting this battle alone. Hope that with God's help, there's nothing that's impossible. Hope that with what little he has to bring to the table, that'll be enough with God's assistance. David's reasoning from this hope comes from, from God's faithfulness with him, to him, as he was protecting his sheep, his, his only life lesson, if you will, in the field from lions and bears, no tigers. Surely the Lord would protect him now as well. David seemed to know that if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. I'm like, that's not an old weight to add. When we find ourselves in these seasons of struggle, being overwhelmed, overcome, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of how God has been with us in the past. Hope is a derivative of trust. It's a byproduct of trust. When we believe that something or someone is trustworthy, it gives us hope. Moms and dads is a really simple example. If you've ever been in the pool with your kids when they were young, and they would just jump right off the edge of the pool into the deep end awaiting you to catch them. Complete hope, complete faith, complete trust that you will save them. And they just laugh and giggle and have a great time. They don't even think about it at all. There's no fear. There's no concern. There's only trust. They're hopeful that they're going to splash into the water 
and you'll hold their head nice and far above. And David's confidence is no different. It comes from his father, his heavenly father. It comes from God's faithfulness to him in the past. And it's what he needed to, to produce, if you will, this outcome for the Israelites. Skip on down to verse 40. He, David, then took his staff in his hand, and he famously chose those five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw, hey, he's just a kid. He's glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. <laughs> Maybe because he was good looking, and Goliath was probably a pretty ugly dude. I don't know. Something. And he said to David, I, am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? You're going to try to beat me like some dog? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David then in return to the Philistine, his little young man, probably a squeaky voice at the time, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and all those gathered here will know that it is not by a sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, if you don't know the whole story prior to this, Saul said, okay, David, you can do this, but here, let me give you all of my armor and give you all of my sword, and David couldn't wear it. It didn't fit him. It was way too big. He couldn't hardly lift the sword. There was no way for that to be effective at all, so he left it all behind. He tried to protect him for the conflict, but none of it fit. So David wasn't disadvantaged enough by just being a child. He went out with just a slingshot. It's true. And after Goliath breathes out these threats to the little underdog, David responds in his probably puberty-stricken voice that, hey, yeah, you fight with the sword and the spear and the javelin. That's all great and good, but I'm going to let God fight my battles for me. Pretty famous worship song line. <laughs> I'm going to add a word. This is how we should fight our battles with that kind of trust and hope in our Lord. Maybe you don't feel equipped to overcome the things you're facing in your life right now. Been there, done that. <laughs> you're in good company. Maybe you've realized that the trial you're going through is just too much for you. Can I just tell you that's the best place to start? Because it's only then that we realize that our battles are not waged in conventional ways, but rather our battles are really in the Spirit. And that we will begin to experience God fighting for us through his spirit. For David, the spiritual battle takes place. It takes God's involvement here to experience this incredible victory. Paul speaks to this to new Christians in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No, no, no. But it's against these dark powers, the rulers, the authorities of this spiritual dark world that exists all around us. The forces of evil, the, the heavenly realms, this constant battle. But sometimes we don't recognize that. We think it's our boss. <laughs> or we think it's our kids or our spouse or our fill in the blank. Paul reminds his readers and us today that our battles are not about the physical world around us. So we cannot overcome those battles by physical means. We fight our battles 
by submitting to the will of God. We fight our most difficult circumstances by bringing them to God, submitting to his will as he fights them. We fight our battles in the evil that exists around us by inviting God to intervene on our behalf. David calls upon God as he engages Goliath in this epic battle. And with a single stone, pretty accurate throw, but God absolutely could have guided that stone completely to where it needed to be. I've always thought as an adult that David could have walked up there and pretended. He didn't even need a stone. He could have just pretended and the giant still would have fell. David shot, connects with some part of his head. Pictures always say his forehead. Who knows? We don't know. And the giant falls to the ground dead. And yes, they left it out of the kid's story. David does go and cut his head off. <laughs> it does happen. And they make a big example of that, and lots of people are scared of David, as you can imagine. The Philistines run. It changes the outcome of that entire portion of the war. Is it over? No, no, no. They still battle at one point in time. In David's future, he actually ends up in with the Philistines because he's running from King Saul. But suddenly, this once frightened, scared-to-death army looking at this giant, sees him fall, is emboldened by this little boy and a slingshot. Because of David's bravery and his trust in God, all of them now are given hope that they too can be part of this great triumph of God. None of them had the courage on their own. But seeing just one person with that kind of hope and that kind of courage changed everyone else. David's hope in God spread like wildfire. And the entire story changes. The entire narrative takes a new tone. It's no longer about defeat. It's now about victory. You see, there's something that happens within the fellowship of faith, the church, the body of Christ, when just one person has the audacity to believe upon God for great things. The church benefits greatly from just that one person with a little hope because hope is contagious and it spreads. And it begins with that one person in the church that believes that God can somehow use them to lift others out of something like poverty or help them with an addiction. It starts with one person who wants to see the children of the community impacted by vacation Bible school in the summer, or see the children of Forest Park Elementary School and the teachers and administration of Forest Park impacted by the love of Jesus for absolutely no reason other than the fact that they're there. It takes one person with a heart for overseas Missions. It takes one person with the heart for adoption and foster care to unite an entire congregation around such an endeavor. It takes one person who's experienced the pain of cancer to come together and form a group to help others within the body of Christ and others within the community that are going through those circumstances right now. It takes one person who's been a single parent to encourage and minister to those that are going through that position right now. That's all it takes is one person, one person, one grandparent who had to step in and raise their grandchild to minister to those who need to do the same. It takes one person who believes in the power of prayer and the reality that it changes things. And that one person could be the spark that ignites the entire congregation to this hope. And that person could be you. I listed just a few brief examples, and somebody in this room heard one of those and said, oh my goodness, is Jesus talking to me? Yes, the Spirit is talking to you. 
through one of those. But others of you said, well, this is my passion. This is what God has placed in me. This is what I've been through. Yes, yes. And we would love to rally behind you and support you and come alongside you and reach people dealing with that. There was an ancient church father that some of you might have heard of, Thomas Aquinas, that said it this way, faith has to do with things that are not seen and hope with things that are not at hand. Now, to me, that sounds a whole lot like Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And even though you cannot see how God might come through, faith is believing that it's still possible. When the whole church begins to function in this way, not only does this body change, but this community begins to change. And yes, the world can change. If God's calling you, you are overwhelmed today. You are the underdog. You're going through things in life, and you are just can't handle it anymore. It's time to admit that and give it to Christ. Allow him to take the slingshot. Allow him to pick out the stones. And fire that first shot at what you're battling. But it's also possible today <laughs> that God has put on your heart this idea of, man, I, I, there's this challenge before us in our community. There's this challenge before us, this great need, and there's just no way that I could ever do this on my own. But, man, it would be awesome if people would come alongside me and support me in this endeavor. Hey, that's what we're here for. We're your family. Maybe you've never thought about a cancer support group. Maybe you've never thought about a, a single-parent ministry. Maybe you've never thought about a divorce care ministry. Maybe you've never thought about a foster care ministry within a church, helping provide people with the resources, the information to get involved with those kinds of things, the support and encouragement we need to deal with these life events. Maybe you've never thought of that, and God can use you now in this moment to be the one to start that here because there are people in need people who are overwhelmed, people who are defeated by the sin in their life, people that are underdogged and losing the battle mightily right now, but with the hope of Christ could come with victory. If that is you, if that's speaking to you, don't miss these moments. Please communicate that with us. Write it on a card. Stay after. Talk with us. Come forward. Let us pray with you. It's so important to know what's on your heart so we can pray with you. Father God, we know you're moving amongst your people. Father, the, the word of God never returns void. Your spirit does not long to sit idly by as we just live our lives. Your spirit envelops us. It dwells in us, but it doesn't just hang out. It's constantly moving, pushing. It, it comes in the forms of, 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 of thoughts, of dreams, of feelings that we've, we've never had before as we see a situation as we hear a conversation, as we read a story, and we're moved to a place that we never thought we would be, and we chalk that up to, well, we're just reading it, no big deal. And I want us to be way more sensitive to your spirit as we experience those things and go, God, is that you? Is that you talking to me? Father, I pray that our people will test you in that, that they will ask, they will question, God, is that you? And, and that you will use resources, people, other conversations, other articles, other TV news, whatever, to confirm that it is you and you're speaking loud and clear to them so that they can come out of the darkness and into your wonderful light and pursue that form of ministry that you're talking to them about right now in their hearts. 
Father, that's how you moved me to a position of ministry as I struggled with trying to do two separate things, and you just convinced me that, no, you needed to focus on the one. And here I am. Father, that's how you move, but we have to be willing to respond. David should have looked at the giant, looked at all the grown men around him and said, wow, guys, I see why you're scared to death. I'm going home. (laughs) Good luck. But he didn't. He looked at it with those innocent, childlike eyes, and that's how you ask us to come to you as a child, with a childlike faith, and come before you and offer it up to you and just ask you to provide what we need, provide the strength, the courage, the words, whatever. Father, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you move in that way in this place.